3: What kind of mythical powers does a Sundale have? We gotta consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters pools thinking we're pretty good.
2: Jaborski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Road of Wire College Football Podcast. It is Thursday, November 5th, week 10, nearly upon us. Nick Whalen, joined as always by Roto-Wire's lead, college football editor, John McKechnie. The Sammy Sprouter of College Football Editors. Yeah, I had I had to dig deep for that one. I even Big I praise. I went back and looked at some leaderboards. Uh, I, I felt like the last couple weeks I'd been I've been slacking a bit on the comparisons, but oh, I don't
2: know. No, I think you, you've still had your a game, but I mean, that's, that's a particularly percent. strong one. too this week.
1: Yeah. I, one of these days I'll compile a list of, of guys who like I was fully convinced were going to be the next Jerry Rice or the next Jim Brown and just never quite ended up panning out like back, you know, back in that day, like Sammy Stroud was playing when we were in like seventh grade, maybe sixth grade even. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're not really looking at it from an NFL perspective. It's just like whoever's good in college, they're automatically going to be good in the pros. So I was routinely getting sense. my heart broken. Yeah, yeah right. It's like, why is Pat White not going number one overall?
2: <laughs> What's the deal? What is the conspiracy who's this, who's behind this? Mario this?
1: Williams guy? Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. So
1: I want to start with the Mac. That was back in a big way last night. And obviously, it's. I think I'm almost contractually obligated – to say something along the lines of I, "I don't think anything else is going on in the country, so we might as well talk college football." Especially um, in the Midwest. Yeah, right. Uh, but honestly, last night around like 8 p.m., my Twitter timeline was about 60% Mac tweets, 40% election tweets. Which, given the circumstances, I thought was about the ratio I was looking for.
2: That's a that's a great ratio. I think that I think we should all aspire to have a timeline uh, with you know that buttoned up to where the the political stuff. Uh, you know, it, it takes its bow when mm-hmm. Ohio and Central Michigan are duking it out the way that they did last night. So I'm, I'm glad that your, your timeline was crisp, and I thought that, yeah, just... Maction delivered and it was like a huge trend on Twitter. Like it was a lot of fun to follow along and a lot of people were diving in. Um, There was a lot of good, you know, interesting, exciting football going on. We got Akron starting things off with an onside kick. Akron, the worst team in college football last year, like worse than uh, Massachusetts, which is saying a lot um they look like they haven't gone anywhere since since then so that was tough uh you know nice little 58 to 13 loss at home to to get a reality check to start things off but you know uh, otherwise around the league you know jared patterson is is kind of considered the best player in the mac as far as his uh as far as like fantasy is concerned at least and uh he picked up right where he left off. It looked like Western Michigan's gonna have a really fun offense this year. Again, Akron not the not the toughest challenge. Ohio will have an interesting uh, quarterback battle. Amari Rogers, the former UNLV quarterback, versus Curtis Rourke, the the brother of Nathan Rourke, who's been running it. At Ohio for a few years now looks like Jim McIlwain's got the boys going at at Central Michigan so I mean you know he's pretty far away from Sharks so he can really focus on coaching and uh yeah those are kind of my my biggest takeaways from the from week one of Mac yeah I mean we had
1: three one score games there were there were five games going on or six games excuse me simultaneously last night and three of them were one score games and the other ones were all just like peak matching type of games you know like there's just a a certain type of football that's being played like you said I I think Akron beginning not only the game but beginning the season with an onside kick is probably the best thing that's happened in college football thus far this year yeah and the bar is set relatively low uh compared to other years but still um and then I I believe was it the ball state Miami game that essentially ended on like one of the worst interceptions in terms of decision making that you're ever going to see
2: oh that's right yeah that was that was a mess too so I mean there's the uh, requisite amount of sloppiness that you need from, mm-hmm. fr- and just messiness from the maxion that right. that was also provided, thankfully.
1: So we're hoping to get a little bit less sloppy with the Pac-12 back this weekend. Uh, Washington and Cal has already been postponed, so not not like the super hot start maybe that the Pac-12 was looking for, and encountering a lot of the same issues uh, that the Big Ten has encountered, and and we'll get to that in a little bit, especially my alma mater of Wisconsin, whose season is suddenly uh, looking like it might be in jeopardy after a second straight cancellation. But we get Arizona, USC, uh, excuse me, Arizona State, USC, Arizona, Utah, UCLA, Colorado, Stanford, Oregon, and Washington State at Oregon State. Uh, I think Stanford, Oregon is probably the headliner, you know, unless you're a Herm guy, you want to see how they fare at USC. uh, Those will be the two Pac-12 games I think I'll have my eye on on Saturday.
2: You definitely have it. Um, with with the Arizona State-USC. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of, like, whereas a lot of the other parts of the conference have a lot of guys that left, and there's a lot of, like, rebuilding going on. I mean, you look at Oregon. They don't have Justin Herbert anymore. What does this offense look like under Tyler Shue? You got Utah. We'll get to them a little bit more later. Obviously, like, the class of the Pac-12 last year, um, up until the very end, but they by Bill Connelly's metrics, they ranked 130th out of 130 in returning production. That's going to be yes. a lot to overcome this year, and especially on defense, because they really were able to ride their their defense and then have Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss just kind of bully everyone else whenever they had the ball on offense. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that this time around with all the guys that they need to replace all over the field. So I think Arizona, that Arizona, Utah game has some sneaky watchability to it. Um, And then, yes, I think Arizona State USC is the best one. And then I love that Washington State, Oregon State's the nightcap. That's the one where you, you know, reality is uh, you're rifting off from it. And uh, then you got some good action going on uh, in Corvallis. So I'm looking forward to that one, especially. I know we're
1: 10 weeks in at this point, but I'm still in the like any football is good football mood. You know, like I don't I don't care what game is on. I'm not turned off by that whatsoever. They're just the fact that we have college football based on where we were a couple of months ago. I'm, I'm still just kind of reveling in that.
2: Yes, me too. You know, like even even like the the lowest end of the Mountain West games. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, that's sure. that's definitely on like my, my you know, when I flipped the previous channel like that, it's there. It's ready mm-hmm. for me.
1: So we hinted at the COVID issues around the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin is clearly the headliner there. Uh, they uh, were cowards and got out of that game against Nebraska last week. Yeah, that's uh, right. Clearly, clearly, it was all a ruse, and they just didn't want to play Nebraska. Uh, they would have done it. if Nebraska was sick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And now they're pulling the same load of crap again at home against Purdue. They're running from Nebraska. They're running from Purdue. Uh, they, the Michigan game as of next week, uh, apparently still on. We'll see. Uh, but I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if Wisconsin were to cancel one more game, they would then they could still play out however many games they can, but they would then be ineligible for the Big Ten championship game.
2: The only way that it that, that wouldn't be the case was would be if everyone else also played six or fewer games. That that is basically the last hope uh, possible. Okay, well, Nebraska is going to play
1: 15 games, so we could rule that That's- out.
2: I love I love their like rogueness like they're just like yeah we tried to we tried to play central or um I'm sorry UT Chattanooga they yeah. tried to play central Arkansas I feel like at one point they're like they've yeah. just been loud rambunctious Um uh, I don't even know yeah. how to okay. describe it. Okay and it would be one
1: thing it'd be one thing if they were Ohio State or you know a team that like really has a lot at stake like what do you think is going to happen this year like what what is the best case scenario like you go like Six and three. I don't. I, I don't know. I. I. I just. I had a hard time wrapping my head around. I was just. I was just confused. I mean, like even if that game was played, they were probably going to lose.
2: And the, yeah. They already had the reality check. Like they already got yeah. smoked by Ohio State. Like, exactly. what more do you had really need? That to know? game.
1: Right. Had they won that game, then maybe you know you start to see a path and and you could you could understand the excitement. But it's just like why do you why do you just want why do you just need to play football to lose by three touchdowns? Yeah.
2: I. Yeah. Like it, to like try like spend Monday through Friday. You know, talking about how the program's right back on the right track and then get smoked by, you know, Big Ten West team X and, and, you know, just restart the cycle on Monday like nothing else happened.
1: I actually I saw some that was actually a pretty good loss uh, takes about that uh, Ohio State game, which as a reminder, just to, to refresh your mind, was 52 to 17. And that's I guess that's where Nebraska is at this point where you can you can take solace in only losing by five touchdowns.
2: Right. And, and there is, uh, that article that, that I quote tweeted from the week leading up to that game where it's like, it, you know, how about Ohio state, you know, starts to have a respectful relationship with Nebraska. It's like, why, why would they bother even noticing you guys, let alone re- like have some sort of respect? <laughs> like what does Penn that state mean? has they earned their respect? The up? Yeah.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> like, uh, so Minnesota will be without its defensive coordinator this week. Uh, you know, was not he there last thing. week? Uh, yeah, where I was. Somebody had to say it. Um, and I, this might be a good thing. I think that's the other line that I have to sneak in there. Uh, <laughs> after allowing, was it 45 to Maryland last week? Uh, not a huge loss for Minnesota. Possibly a gain. They're favored by seven at Illinois. Uh, so there's still some belief in that program. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I got to say, I don't know a ton about Minnesota's defensive coordinator personally, but. We can spend a minute just on the state of the program. I mean, I think we both kind of like them to beat Michigan a couple weeks ago. That game goes completely off the rails. And then people start to think, well, maybe Michigan's really good and that's not that bad of a loss. And then Michigan, you know, gets beat pretty handily by what we thought might be like the worst team in the entire Big Ten in Michigan State. And suddenly that Minnesota loss looks terrible. Then you add on top of that a loss to Maryland. And all of a sudden this is going completely off the rails.
2: Like the if you try to do like the transitive property map for for wins for the Big Ten right now, it's absolutely absurd. And I think it ends with like Ohio State and Northwestern being the, the best teams by a long shot or something like yeah. that, because, yeah, you you got a Minnesota team that's lost twice, both to teams that have gotten blown out in their other games uh, by bad teams or or at least mediocre teams. So, I mean, you can really twist your mind into a pretzel trying to, like, figure out what it all means in the Big Ten so far. I mean, we know for sure that Ohio State is Ohio State. We know that Indiana will be feisty and and might be able to finish, like, third in the East or something like that. I think uh, it's been, like, a really tough start for Penn State on the other side of it. But there's so many other just unknowns around this league right now where – once you get past that that elite tier, it's it's hard to really know what you're gonna get on a on a given week or in a given matchup. So yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And when it comes to Minnesota, um, it just feels like there, there's something missing there. Uh, defense, obviously, I mean they're giving up huge runs all over the place. The offense is still putting up some some numbers. I thought the the running game is particularly impressive. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is. Pretty awesome, it appears. Um, Rashad Bateman's still good. He didn't get enough targets last weekend, but yeah, if you're Minnesota, it doesn't feel like you're building off of last year at all. And I think that's that was what you wanted more than anything from this season. So I think it we're off to a very tough start in that regard. If you're a Minnesota fan, yeah, defense
1: has certainly been the issue. The offense struggled a little bit against Michigan, but that was that was not the problem against Maryland to say the least. Speaking of Michigan. Uh, A a weekly contender for the Who's Back Bowl and took a major, major step back, uh, especially given the opportunity that that some of this COVID stuff might open up for them um, to lose this game was inexcusable. I I, I mean, I I think if you would have told Michigan that you would you would go into this game, you would lose, but you would not you would win the time of possession battle pretty handily. You'd have no turnovers. Joe Build would throw for 300 yards. You would rush for, you know, 150 as a team. Not great, but three rushing touchdowns as a team. I think you would just wonder how it happened. And I feel like that's kind of where we're left. You know, this, this seems like one of those games where it would just have to be a disaster scenario for Michigan, where you're, you know, there's just some sort of breakdown, you know, you have some kind of, I'm thinking like that uh, Rams dolphins game last week, where like all of the metrics say the Rams were the better team. But when you have 80 yard fumble touchdowns and you're fumbling on the one yard line, like th- mm-hmm. the game just has a way of, of getting away from you. And, and that's not like Michigan just straight up got, outplayed it was it was just a really weird weird game and it just felt like a a slow bleed out till the end and you know obviously they only lose by three but this is a game where you just you can't lose by any amount there's there's no there's no such thing as a good loss in this scenario
2: no I mean Rutgers is a team or I'm sorry Michigan State was coming off a team that had just lost to Rutgers the week before I mean that that is you know as about as bad as it gets in the Big Ten and for Michigan who just kind of manhandled Minnesota to come out the next week at home I know they, it's not like the big house is packed or anything, but still, you're at home, you got just a wounded animal in Michigan State, and you still can't take care of them. And, the, you know, the, the Joe Milton 300 yards, it comes on 51 pass attempts that, <laughs> yeah. you know, unlike Michigan a, football on a per pass. Yeah, I mean, it, they're communists for throwing it more than 40 times, first of all. But then, you know, to be, the, to be that uh, just inefficient with it, too, I mean, uh, that's just um, – Gerald Ford is rolling in his grave, I I guess, when it comes to that sort of performance from Michigan. But, yeah, they – to your point, like they just kind of got beat. They didn't have anything really fluky go wrong to to really decide this one. It was just Michigan State was better. Um, the timeline was pretty fun during during that game. A lot of just like what what is happening right now, and a lot of like you know the Michigan alums in journalism being very upset about what was happening. The Michigan State alums being very excited about what was happening. So made for a pretty fun little timeline there on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Chad Henney would never. I just want to get that out there. Mike Hart would never.
1: How about the Cincinnati Bearcats? Forty-nine to ten over Memphis. Uh, you you were on Cincinnati. You've been on Cincinnati all year. It's it's heated up week to week, uh, and all of a sudden the Cincinnati Bearcats are are undefeated and and looking every bit the part of a top ten team.
2: Yeah, so they're they're legit. Their defense is extremely legit. Not everybody could hold t- uh, Memphis to ten points, even though that you know they don't have. Uh, Demonte Coxie anymore. That's still really, really impressive. And then I think Desmond Ritter is starting to heat up a, a lot. Uh, you got that run game cooking. Um, Alec Pierce, their, their best receiver, got hurt during this game, but he was off to a really hot start before that happened. So they have a lot of ways that they can beat you. They can score with you, but they can also just c- totally keep you off the scoreboard. And I don't know if they're going to face anyone that can really push them as far as the um, as needing Cincinnati to put up more than 30 points I think their defense is just that legit so they have the look of the best team um, in the group of five right now I don't really see that changing at, at any point um, yeah they, they they're they just built extremely well top to bottom Luke Fickle's done an awesome job there recruiting by by group of five standards and getting in some power five transfers uh, stuff like that so yeah I have a hard time seeing Cincinnati uh, losing a game the rest of the way and and I think they're going to keep winning convincingly Clemson uh,
1: holds on for a win against Boston college, obviously a lot closer than we expected. I think even without Trevor Lawrence, uh, there is a belief in, and that's indicated. I think Clemson's a five point favorite at Notre Dame uh, without Trevor Lawrence this weekend. Um, I don't think people thought they would struggle to the degree that they did, uh, but this was one that, you know, had a couple fluky plays like ETN fumbled at the one yard line. Um, you just had some, some very unclemson like plays throughout this game, but at the same time, like I was watching this with some friends and we were like midway through the third quarter, like Clemson's winning this game. There was no there was really never that much of a doubt. There were a couple moments where you kind of wondered. But um, I think Clemson is, has entered that zone and has probably been in that zone for a year or two now where so many things have to go wrong for them to lose a game to an opponent this inferior.
2: Right, so I mean, it, you know, you, you compare this to back in 2017, I guess the last time that they lost a, a regular season game, uh, it was against Syracuse. Yeah, it's just ridiculous Crazy. to think of it. Um, but you know that Kelly Bryant goes out in that game, and they don't have a real answer. It's Zarek Cooper uh, now now at Jacksonville State, or Hunter Johnson, who like you know. F- basically just uh, played his way out of the starting job at Northwestern a year ago. It's like Clemson does, they don't have those problems anymore. Like their backups are, are, you know, guys that could easily be starting for like any other program. And, and, you know, DJU is, is no exception. I mean, that guy is going to be a beast that whenever he takes over for Lawrence for good uh, they're, they're in very good hands. Of course. I mean, a guy with that's like that big that can move the way he does with the cannon arm ridiculous. So yeah, I think you and your boys had it right. Like, when BC couldn't come out in the in the third quarter and and put any points on the board, like that, that's what you need to have happen. That's like the the next ingredient if you're like following the the steps on a on an upset of a juggernaut like that. You need hmm. to keep it rolling out of halftime, and they were unable to. And of course, you know they end up being shut out in the second half and, and losing by six points. So, uh, yeah, they just couldn't keep it going. I, I do like the general direction that BC is going in. Um, I think they were right to get rid of Adazio. I think that they made the right hire. <laughs> But you know, bottom line, Clemson's still Clemson. Um, but do you want to talk about you know ha- what that means for this weekend?
1: Well, first of all, I hope Adazio got a job at like TikTok or something after He's, after leaving Boston College. The,
2: he had the yeah, he had like my favorite Vine ever with, Ever. With just yeah, just pointing and saying dude like that. That totally worked. Ultimate but, dude. Yeah, he had a whole series of them. They were yeah, those were those were tremendous. Mark Hurd's like dude, and then um. Yeah, he's at Colorado State now and it looks like right. it's going to go terribly. I think this is this is going to be a short run for him and I think that's probably the it, it for him as far as head coaching jobs go.
1: Yeah, so you you mentioned Clemson now going to Notre Dame this weekend. This feels like one of like Notre Dame has been in this exact situation so many times over the last few years and they've almost always come up short in these games, but this is yet again another major opportunity even in a season that, that will ultimately maybe have some asterisks. I mean, when you're talking about Clemson being without the best player in the entire country, that certainly changes things. But in some ways, is it almost fair to say that this makes it a better game? Like, I, I love watching Trevor Lawrence. If you're Clemson, you obviously want him on the field. If you're ESPN broadcasting this game, you want him on the field. But I, I think with Trevor Lawrence, this ends up being one of those games where there's a lot of hype. Maybe it's close for a quarter, and then Clemson pulls away. I think with DJU under center, as good as he is, um, I still think that at least levels the playing field to the point where this could end up being a pretty competitive game or at least a lot more competitive than maybe it would have.
2: Yes, absolutely. So th- this has been characterized and rightfully so as the toughest game on Clemson's schedule all year. And, and I, you know, that's still obviously the case um, I think if if Lawrence is the quarterback, they're probably favored by like 13 and a half on the road here. And, and that might even be like generous to Notre Dame, honestly. Um, but with him being out, you know, this does, like you say, uh, level the playing field. And I think also that just Notre Dame, they match up in a way that's going to be... It's going to be an uncomfortable three to four hours for Clemson, no matter what. I think that Notre Dame just plays that brand of bully ball. Um, if Ian Book has it going uh, in in terms of his passing ability, like he's been very inconsistent with that, that's going to be a huge factor. That was something that that cost them in the playoff a couple of years ago, that and just not being able to contain Justin Ross and, and that uh, Trevor Lawrence passing game back in Dallas back in the 2018 playoff. But I mean, this is still an Ian Book team. This is still a really tough defense. This is still um, an offensive line that looks like a Notre Dame offensive line, just really, really big and experienced across the front. Good run game. Those are just all like building blocks to this Notre Dame team that uh, means you're going to have to play. You're going to have to just beat them with your, your pure athleticism and some of like the just pedigree advantages that you have elsewhere because Notre Dame probably not beating itself in in this one. So it's going to be tough and uh, you know, we won't have the the full house to really give like DJU like the full experience of a, you know, a a tough road game against a really good team. But I think it's still going to set up as a very, you know, challenging environment for for him nonetheless, you know, especially if the conditions are are tough in the Midwest, hopefully they won't be for, for our sakes. But um, yeah, I think this, Really does set up nicely. S&P Plus, uh, Bill Connolly's system has Clemson winning this game by one point. Interesting. So
1: uh, what was your scouting report on Nui Galele after last week? It, it felt like a fairly conservative game plan. I mean, he did throw the ball 41 times, but it you know, wasn't exactly launching it downfield over and over. Um, I mean, do you, do you think it gets to the point where maybe they have to turn him loose a little bit more
2: this week? It wouldn't surprise me, and they shouldn't have any reservations about doing that. I mean, he's got the physical tools to do it. Um, I think they're going to be a little bit healthier at receiver this week. That's been a problem for them. Uh, the two sophomores that are five stars, Frank Ladson and Joe Nada, both of them have been banged up. Um, I think both of them missed last week's game. So if if both of those guys are back, in addition to Amari Rogers, that gives DJ Uy- Uyunglele um the weapons around him that that I think will will be will prove to be a lot better than they were a week ago with what he was working with. So um, that should that should help things if they do need to turn it loose. They'll have some legitimate options in in Nada and Latson. Have you heard any comps
1: for Uyungalele in terms of, you know, future NFL projection? I mean, he's huge at what, six, four, six, five, close to 250 moves fairly well. I mean, he's not he's not Gerald Lorenzen, but with the QB jacket on especially, I mean, he is he's a thick man.
2: Yeah, he is. He certainly is. I've I've heard like supersized Russell Wilson as a as one, but uh yeah. I mean that that's about what you can come up with. I mean, he's got that crazy arm, and he's just yeah, he's got like almost Ben in size right. to it. I think too. that's
1: that's the only comp you can really make in terms of size, but obviously he really he doesn't move anything like Roethlisberger, especially. Current Roethlisberger.
2: No, not not present day. Back in the day, Roethlisberger could move around and, yeah. and make things happen a little bit. Um, I, I think the, the DJU, probably a little more athletic now um, than than I even so. Roethlisberger was in his peak. But either way, I mean, yeah, this guy was a five-star, number one quarterback for a for pretty good reason, as we can see, for him to come out and throw 40, be trusted to throw 41 times and deliver the win in, in a tough kind of comeback situation. I think there was a quote uh, where he said, like, uh, yeah, at halftime we were talking about is it, it like yeah, 28 points, like that's what Boston College had. Like that's not a lot of points. Like we're fine. So <laughs> yeah, it must be nice. Yeah, right. So I, I read this week that Uyunglele,
1: uh his favorite player growing up was Jeremiah Masoli, and he chose number five because he loved Reggie Bush. Like, I I think we'd get along great with this guy.
2: Yeah, I think like, he'd just be one of the boys. I, yeah, that would be amazing. To have, I mean, like those are, those are like just kind of like if you say that, like, you know, that that person is cool. Like just r- yeah. right off the bat, your, your like head, like whips around and like, yeah, just, yeah. I mean the Masoli name drop. Um, yeah, the being, being a Reggie Bush Stan, um, those are, those are two, you know, golden check check marks mm-hmm. in, in your, in your uh, permanent record. So this guy seems pretty awesome. You know, that, that on top of the other quote, uh, yeah, Clemson's gone quite the run of, of finding their quarterbacks that are really cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It, well, unless somebody gets Trevor Lawrence's take on Jeremiah Masoli, I, I think we we have our future option here. Right. Uh, I want to turn to Michigan and Indiana this week. So Michigan loses to what we believe maybe was the worst team in the Big Ten. They are still ranked 23rd. Uh, some of the rankings continue to be a little bit laughable. You have, you have Liberty at 25. Um, you know, there's, like we've talked about all year, Indiana's 13 for, for that matter. Yeah. Two and yeah. Oh. Um but you know, Michigan's now on the road at Indiana again, you know, not, not your typical road environment. Uh, but the Wolverines are favored by three and a half, despite being ranked 10 spots lower. Uh, are, are you expecting a bounce back?
2: This is a really tough one to figure out because like with, with Indiana, like the, they got up for their big game and they delivered the victory against Penn state. Then last week it didn't always look as comfortable Um But, you know, you still felt like very strongly that they were going to be able to beat Rutgers. Like Michigan, we talked about them last week and, you know, we were off them coming into the year and then they dominate Minnesota. We don't really know what that meant yet at the time with how bad Minnesota ended up proving to be. So how impressive is it that they were able to bludgeon Minnesota? I don't know. And then they, they lose to Michigan State. So I don't know which Michigan shows up here. Um, I think Indiana has enough on defense to, you know, make this a little bit annoying for, once again for the Michigan offense in, in terms of a per play efficiency basis. So Indiana right now, I'll take them to to win this game. I mean, I just think that Michigan is, is good, but not great. I don't think that they're going to have like that crazy talent advantage. I mean, they're they're closer, I think, to Indiana than Penn State was in terms of like a, you know who's on the field jimmies and joes type of thing and i think indiana's better coached and playing better so i mean those are all (laughs) factors that make me say like you know let's go hoosiers please say jimmies and joes much more often that that brings me back to like my high school football
1: coach like i I absolutely love that kind of language so if we could institute maybe like a one over under one and a half jimmies and joes per episode that would be ideal
2: OK, all right. Well, we'll try to work it in without it, it feeling forced. But yeah, I mean, it felt good right there, it, especially when you're talking some some Big Ten matchups, Jimmy's and Joe's. It makes sense. Yes.
1: All right. So we got BYU and Boise State tomorrow night on Friday. I think we need to start talking a little bit more about Zach Wilson, who you know, if you follow college football, you know, he's he's kind of been building a name this year um, and, you know, had had a decent Uh, year uh, as a sophomore but coming back as a junior completing 75 percent of his passes through seven games 19 touchdowns only two picks a threat to run the ball as well he's got seven touchdowns that's more than the previous two years combined um you know and we'll we'll talk about heisman odds in a little bit but he's lurking and i I don't think he's going to win it but you know he's he's fourth behind mac jones justin fields trevor lawrence and he's tied with kyle trask at at 33 to one so I mean, based on what could happen with some of those top guys, I don't think that's the worst bet. But um, I, I'm more interested about how you view him or what you've heard about him as a potential NFL prospect. I mean, he, you know, coming from a smaller school, you know, especially BYU, you, you kind of have a certain reputation. But he has the size. He's six three. He's two fifteen. Obviously, the numbers are there. I mean, is there a chance that he maybe ends up challenging a Trey Lance for for that QB three in the 2021 draft?
2: That, yeah, that's the important jumping off point. Like, I don't think that he's going to enter the the Lawrence and Fields um, tier, but I think that we've seen that tier just completely close off. I don't think anyone is challenging that. So the the next question is, you know, what does three through five look like? I would argue that no quarterback has made himself more money this year than Zach Wilson. I mean, it's just been absolutely automatic from him. Like you said, completing like 75% of his passes at a crazy high YPA, uh, the 19-2 touchdown to interceptions. Uh, that's insane. 11.1 YPA, really impressive to, to keep that up over the course of an entire season. Um, basically, up until like Baker Mayfield's Heisman season, like quarterbacks weren't doing that o- over the course of an entire year. Now it's a little bit more commonplace to average over ten more yar- or ten yards per attempt, but still really difficult to pull off. He's if you watch the film, like he's very creative. Like he can move around, extend the play. He's got all the, like the arm strength and all the like, the the Mahomesian arm angles and and stuff to to uh, kind of. You know, he can flick its sidearm if he if the situation calls for it and he can still get the ball down there. So, I mean, uh, Richard Johnson uh, has uh, works at ESPN, has been all over Wilson for a while, called him like the Mormon Manziel. Um, so, that, <laughs> I mean, it. that's obviously huge praise, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it fits. I, I think that this is a huge opportunity for him because it, it's Friday night. So this is clearly like the best game that that's on. And Boise State looks like Boise State again. So really BYU hasn't played anybody that impressive. And that's where you can mm-hmm. find some holes in the production that, that Wilson has had. Right. But um, if he can mm-hmm. able if he can produce the way he has been, but against a Boise State team that's really tough on the blue turf in Boise, then I then I think, you know, he he kind of starts to really solidify himself as maybe the, mm-hmm. the number three quarterback prospect in this class. Yeah, Boise
1: State's breaking out the black unis tomorrow as well, so that's another thing to to keep an eye out for. I'm not sure how th- you plan that. What are your thoughts
2: that. on that? Like, what's the best Boise look? Because I I think it's it's blue wearing all blue on the blue field.
1: I agree. I do. So has the novelty worn off for you at all? Like Boise State was definitely a really cool team to like, especially after they won the Fiesta Bowl. Like a lot of guys our age, I feel like if if you're playing NCAA football, you're like, I'm being Boise State. They're so yeah. cool. I I don't know. It's not. They're not as cool as they used to be. I liked them better when they were the the plucky
2: underdog. They've gotten too good. They, yeah, they honestly they have such a sweet setup right now. Like basically, short of uh, getting a bid to join the Pac-12 or something, like this is as I mean, good would as. Would you it. even want
1: that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what it is. It's Gonzaga in college basketball. They have the greatest setup ever. Like you play two hard games a year. You play in a couple tournaments early on. You automatically win your league and you get a one or a two seed every year.
2: That's exactly right. And like you know, it's it's like they're not getting the recruits that Duke and Kentucky for as far as like Gonzaga would be concerned. They're not getting the, those Bama or Clemson guys. But when it comes to like them recruiting against anyone else in the group of five, like they have a huge advantage. It, it uh-huh. feels like, and yeah, they, they always get the guys the the development there, like the stability within that program seems to be so solid, you know, they're, they're not churning out new coaches like every two, three years or, or leaving the uh-huh. job. Um, so that they've got just a rock solid foundation there and it just seems to work so yeah it's it's not it doesn't put it this way yeah watching boise state win is not like this like fun experience that it used to be like they just bully people around and they're usually a lot better than whoever it is that they're going against so it's always very surprising when when they slip up one to two times a year in the mountain west
1: all right it's time to address the elephant in the room, Florida. At Georgia. This one's being played neutral site at Fred Taylor Stadium in Jacksonville. Dogs are three and a half point favorites. The total's fifty-two and a half. How are you feeling mentally? Terrible. Terrible? God, okay. Good. Uh, I, I, you and I I think share a brain with this type of stuff. I always am just assuming the worst for a game like this.
2: Yep. And you know, Georgia has won this game three years in a row. I did in each of those three years I've felt pretty strongly that Georgia was gonna win um going in. it. Obviously, 2017 was a blowout, 2018 kind of a blowout last year, a lot closer. I mean, this is a year where you have Kyle Trask versus Stetson Bennett. That's not good. We, we saw Georgia have one of the more like costly wins that you'll see in in a college football game a week ago against Kentucky like not only were they able to hang just 14 points on Kentucky but they lost a lot of important players in the you know up front Jordan Davis their their star defensive tackle he's got a messed up elbow now um they they also had another senior defensive lineman go out Richard LeCount got in an unfortunate dirt bike accident after the game that's their safety that well, that yeah. I
1: thought you have to plan for one or two dirt bike accidents per year. If you're not doing that, that's on the coaching staff.
2: Yeah, we, we were due. Like, yeah, Georgia hadn't had any yet. So, I mean, that, that's usually like, yeah, usually we get that out of the way by September. So I blame delaying the season for this. Um, but uh, he, I thought, was kind of like the ace in the hole that, that could have slowed down Kyle Pitts. So him being out, I think, is a massive, massive loss for the Georgia defense. So you basically have a game where, Florida's offense isn't going to be held in check for four quarters against Georgia's defense, especially if Georgia's defense is banged up. So that calls into question, like, can Georgia put up enough points uh, to keep pace with with Florida? I would guess no. I know that's not a very good Florida um, defense. Todd Grantham always like seems to allow. Uh, for, Drives to continue on on third down. Uh, Looked like Georgia's run game got back in in gear a little bit last week. I think that's how they win this game. If if like Zamir White and one of the other guys, James Cook or Kendall Milton, can can really kind of dictate this game on the ground, and Georgia can play that brand of football. And, and keep Florida's offense off the field, then I think that's how they win it. I just don't see that happening over the course of this game. And at some point, Georgia will have to close a lead and they won't be able to. And I think that that will be a wrap. So I, I, I like Florida to win this game outright.
1: OK, that was that was sound analysis and that was not biased
2: either. I feel like you
1: you laid out a good case. I understand your position. And if the dogs win, then you're happy. If they're not, then you're
2: correct. Yep, it's a great place to be. The, the emotional hedge.
1: Yes, exactly. So let's get back to those Heisman odds before we look at the DFS slate. Uh, I'll, I'll read the top real quickly. Mac Jones is the leading Heisman candidate right now. This is according to Odd Shark. He's at plus 125, Justin Fields, 150, Trevor Lawrence, 250. You got Trask and Wilson at 33 to one, Devonte Smith, Najee Harris, both at 40, ETN at 50, Derek King and Kellen Mond at 66, Chuba at 80 to one. And then you have David Bell and Sam Ellinger at 100 to one. I I wouldn't say this is a bad field because you have Justin Fields, you have Trevor Lawrence. Those are guys who could win a Heisman in any year in college football. You you, you have Devontae Smith, you have Najee Harris, like the names are there, but if Mac Jones wins the Heisman, would he be the worst player to ever win the Heisman?
2: Man. I mean, like you're, you're reaching like, Eric Crouch territory or something, but like Eric Crouch was like legit that year that he won it. So maybe yeah. more, maybe more like a Mark Ingram is like the apt one where it's just like, we yeah. have to have a Heisman this year. And I yeah. guess this guy was the best, but you don't really feel like it's not a memorable one. So, I mean, if Mac Jones ends up winning it basically on the, on the basis of him having played more games than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, then And that's great. And I know that we've talked earlier in the season about like, well, Fields can't win it because Lawrence will have literally just played more games. Like I, I know it's like a little bit hypocritical to like go back against that logic or whatever. But like if Mac Jones just gets it on, like just compiling the stats and it's not that he's hasn't been playing at an amazing level this year. He has. But it does feel like this would just be a very blah Heisman if, if it ends up being Mac Jones.
1: Yeah, it would be very strange. I think just given the the profile of the other two guys and the way that like Trevor Lawrence, I wouldn't say he was running away with it, but he was pretty comfortably in the lead before missing you know what's going to be at least two games now uh, with the COVID. And if he misses another game, I I think that might maybe that's curtains for him and that narrows the gap. Assuming Justin Fields plays all of his games, then that's just not a concern anymore. I I don't think Mac Jones is going to win it. uh, And I I asked that question somewhat facetiously, but I think you are right. Mark Ingram's probably the worst player at the time to win it and we're not talking like what happened afterwards like obviously you could you could talk about um you know rg3 and menzel and all that but as poorly as some of those nfl careers turned out for the most part it's hard to argue that the heisman has has gone to the wrong guy or has gone to someone who didn't at least have the numbers to deserve it
2: right so so you know yeah just it's got to be Ingram. I, I guess would be the only clear comparison because, like you said, like those other Heisman seasons, regardless of how their pro careers went, like those were like memorable, memorable seasons. Like Mark Ingram, like the only thing I remember about that year was just Alabama being back. I mean, it wasn't like yep. Ingram was just like part of the function of that. It, it wasn't Alabama's back because Mark Ingram. Right. So he
1: had 1658 rushing yards with 17 touchdowns. Uh, I want to fast forward to. Uh, Um, the year that a certain running back from Wisconsin, I believe finished second. Hmm. That was, was that 2012 or 2013 with Melvin Gordon? Maybe even later. Oh boy.
2: Um, I think the 2014 season, right? 2014, Yeah. So that would be what the year. 2,587
1: yards, 29 touchdowns.
2: (laughs) So almost a thousand more yards. (laughs)
1: And 12 more touchdowns. Finished second to Mariota, But at the same time, it was like Mariota deserved it.
2: Mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. was the man. he did. So, I mean, it. yeah, it's tough. Tough. You have to do some crazy stuff to, to win it if you're not a quarterback anymore. And I do. I, or go you know, ahead. I would consider that Gordon season crazy. He, I mean, he did yeah. uh, along the way, like, sit, set the single game rushing record only for Oklahoma to, like, scheme it up the, like a week or two later. Lame.
1: The two college football players who I will never forgive, Donnell Pumphrey, Samaje Pirine. <laughs> And Pete Ryan's still bouncing around in the NFL. I feel like I saw some team claim him or move him up the depth chart this past week. He's eight. on the
2: Bengals with Joe Mixon, so it's just OU all over again.
1: Just, I cringe every time I hear both of those guys' names. Uh, so going back to that 09 Heisman voting, this was a brutal field. And it's pretty easy to understand why Ingram won it. And he only won it by 28 total points. Oh. He, he only had five more first place votes than the second place finisher, Toby Gerhardt. That
2: was the year. Okay, yeah. Putrid. Yes.
1: So is Mark Ingram in order, Toby Gerhardt, and then a very close third, Colt McCoy. All three of those guys were separated by less than 200 total points. Fourth, Ndamukong Su. Fifth, senior year, Tim Tebow. Sixth, C.J. Spiller. Seven, Kellen Moore. Eight, Case Keenum. Nine, I cannot believe... This player received two first-place Heisman votes. Marty Gilliard.
2: Was it us? Did, Did we vote? Did, did, I have I, a vote did I just like forget? As a high school we've...
1: senior, did I have a vote? I don't know. <laughs> Golden Tate finished tenth that year. What a field! Marty Gilliard pulling two first place Heisman votes.
2: I loved Marty Gilliard. Yeah, I, I, he was one of those guys I didn't understand why he didn't have NFL yes, success. Exactly. And I was I was beyond the age where that was where that was excusable. <laughs> but I was still just like, nah, man. Like Marty yeah. Gilliard's got some juice. Him and Kobe Hamilton.
1: Yeah. Going into They're... that draft, it was like, who do you got, Sue or Gilliard at number one? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into the DFS slate. Uh, we'll, we'll start, as always, before we get into the positions. What are the games you're targeting this week?
2: Um, so we got another you know huge slate here, a ton of games, a ton of ways to attack this one. Um, some pretty interesting matchups in there, some pretty high um, overall totals. Uh, the highest one is Penn State going up against Maryland. Penn State, 24.5-point favorites in this one, so the expectation being that uh, Penn State's going to hang north of 40 points in this one. So you got to like that. I, I imagine they will. I don't think Maryland's defense can stop anybody. They're terrible. Um, Oklahoma seems to be rolling a little bit. They got Ramondre Stevenson back from suspension. They might get Trajan Bridges back from suspension as well. So they put up a pretty impressive offensive performance against Texas Tech. Last week they get the Kansas matchup this week so that it's their week to to uh destroy kansas mm-hmm. their implied total is 50 it's just a matter of like how you can really attack it this could be a week where i do like spencer sand or spencer rattler for once um i think that that could work out well although the question always being like you know how many how many points how many throws is he going to need to make before you know lincoln riley empties the bench um, it's like a
1: comical money line of minus minus twenty thousand. <laughs>
2: Sure. Sure. I'll sprinkle. I'll sprinkle a little bit on Kansas there. (laughs) Um, What else we got? Uh, UNC Duke, I think, has a pretty, you know, interesting uh, setup. That one, 63 and a half is is the over under in that one with a much closer um, spread than than, say, the Penn State, Maryland or the Oklahoma, Kansas game. So that you could get some points on both sides of that one. TCU, T- T- Texas Tech, both of those teams have been really frustrating, but it still carries like a pretty high over/under, north of 60. Um, and Minnesota, they, they have an implied total of 34 and a half, so they they're pretty interesting this week going up against Illinois. Illinois uh, seems to be pretty pretty terrible once again. So um, those those are the games that I think you can really uh, take a look at. And then as far as like the Pac-12, uh, you know, intro games. I like that Utah-Arizona one, and I like that USC-Arizona State one. I think that there's a lot to like on on both sides of those games as well.
1: All right, so where are you looking at the quarterback position outside of Spencer Rattler, if you do decide to go down that path?
2: So, yes, do like Rattler a fair bit. Um, I understand uh, the Sean Clifford love for this week because, you know, he is going up against Maryland. They do have that high implied total he does run a lot as well. I think he had like 18 rushing attempts against Ohio state. I don't think he'll run quite as much, but I think he'll be a lot more effective on a per carry basis this week. So it's the problem is like, if you want to use him and Jahan Dotson, the, the wide receiver one for Penn state, who looks like a stud, you know, you're, you're sinking like almost 17 K of your, of your salary cap into, into a stat, into a passing game stack where the game might not be that competitive. So, I do worry about pairing those two, but I do like getting individual pieces of Penn State for this game a fair bit. And I probably will just for the hell of it one Clifford Dotson uh, combo. Um, elsewhere, as far as the quarterback position, Um, Keaton Slovis again the USC guy uh, really impressive last year we I remember us just being like is this real like every single like Wednesday or Thursday we would just like check in it's like yeah no apparently it's it's like still happening he's still Mm -hmm. really good Um, Spencer Sanders similar boat he you know he's healthy now looked pretty good last week had some turnovers though against Texas but I like him a fair bit and then a couple you know potential inefficiencies from this board have to do with that Utah, Arizona game. So Jake Bentley, former South Carolina quarterback. We know that South Carolina, that Columbia to Salt Lake City pipeline. It's uh, oh. so, a, you know, it's just, that was the logical next step for him. Of high course. speed rail between those cities. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I like him 6,500 against Arizona and then Grant Cannell, is a guy who's a very very talented quarterback. Obviously was behind Khalil Tate he, uh, last year, but he followed Sumlin to a or to Arizona from A and M. He was a longtime A and M commit um, and was like a legit four star. So he's he really could be one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 right now, and we just don't know it yet. He had one start against Oregon State last year and crushed it. And again. I would normally hesitate to use anyone against this Utah defense. But again, like Bill Connolly said, they are literally returning 27% of their defensive production from a year ago, which again, ranks dead last in the nation. So Mm -hmm. um, I think this sets up reasonably well for the Arizona offense, especially if, you know, first game, maybe Kevin Sumlin pulls out some tricks here. I think that Grant Gannell at 5,900 could be, you know, not just a, a good way to save money, but a potential slate breaker, honestly.
1: So we have kind of a weird setup at the top at running back with Muhammad Ibrahim breaking five figures. He's at 10,000 and no one else is higher than 8,500. Is this a little bit of an overreaction to him carrying the ball 41 times for 200 yards and four touchdowns last
2: week? Yeah, That was a great and that that was his revenge game homecoming game because he went to good mm-hmm. counsel, which is like, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes from Maryland's campus. Um so he's got that out of his out of the way so we we don't even have revenge game narrative to to go with Yeah, sinking one-fifth of of your salary into one guy that's not going to catch passes, you need him to basically do what he did against Maryland, where he gets like the 35-plus carries, he gets the 200 yards, he gets you the the multiple touchdowns. That's the only way that he really is able to to smash value. And even for as bad as Illinois' defense has been, I think it'll put up a little bit more of a fight um, than Maryland's did. So I think that that's—it'll— you know, keep the roster percentage down. And I think it would be unwise to completely fade someone that is getting that amount of work and has been that explosive. But at the same time, like you are going to have to get pretty creative with the way you fill out the rest of your lineup. Because again, like no quarterback even is 10 K this week. So, I mean, we're talking about the most expensive player on the board by $700. Like it, it just doesn't feel like a great way to go about it, but that's the only piece of the Minnesota offense that you really need, need to have this week. Um, Yeah. As far as that goes.
1: Yeah, that's a little too expensive, I think, for my blood. Uh, Anything in the middle to lower tiers?
2: Um, So if I am paying up at at running back, I like Chuba Hubbard. He gets to go against Kansas State. Kansas State hasn't been great against the run this year, and Hubbard gets a ton of volume, so I like him a fair bit. Um, Going back to that Maryland game, 5,900 for Devin Ford I think is totally reasonable. I think it, it might even be a value. I mean, again, we're talking about a Maryland defense that that gives up so many yards on the ground, uh, you know, not just to Ibrahim but to, to Northwestern as well. So I think this sets up really well for for Ford. Uh, again, 5,900. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson was a slate breaker last Saturday. Once he got off a of suspension for Oklahoma, he was min-priced and just like dominated. So I like him a fair bit. You're not getting him at a discount. Um, maybe you could consider some of those cheaper Oklahoma running back options, be it TJ Pledger or um, Seth McGowan, because I think that there will be a point in this game, you know, midway through the third quarter or so where Oklahoma is cruising so hard that they, they go to like their secondary running backs, or maybe they want to give Stevenson a little bit more work because he had been rusty uh, coming off the suspension. So either way, I love the Oklahoma run game this week. I'm not sure shattering the universe by saying that, but I do think it sets up pretty well for them. Um, As far as Utah goes, they're replacing a ton of carries from Zach Moss, of course. Devin Brumfield, I think, is going to be the guy. Uh, Jordan Wilmore, another guy to consider there, but I think it's going to be Brumfield. I like both those guys. Both of them have reasonable price tags um, as well. So uh, I think running back, I'm not going not going super expensive here. I'll probably have one of a Chuba Hubbard or an Ibrahim or maybe a Javante Williams, but otherwise just kind of keeping it in, in the mid tier. And that, I think you can find some, some nice bargains at receiver though.
1: Yeah. And we, we have kind of a similar situation at the top at receiver with Jahan Dotson, you know, maybe a little bit of an overreaction to that big game against Ohio state last week, uh, close to 150 yards, three touchdowns. He's now the highest price receiver, on the slate in week 10 at 8,300. You got Tylen Wallace just below him at 79. Uh, Bateman, maybe a chance to capitalize. He's a little bit lower, had a, a bit of a down game last week. I think he's $500 cheaper compared to week nine. He's at seven. Um, and then, you know, the back 12 guys, Amin Ra, St. Brown, Equinemius' little brother uh, coming off that huge sophomore year uh, at USC, obviously going to be their number one guy with Slovis. Is there a potential Slovis-St. Brown pairing to be had?
2: I like that pairing a lot, actually. And you don't really need to break, break the bank to get there. And I think you can also. Um, so St. Brown is is probably my, my best um, play from like the sub 7K or just like from like the Pac 12 guys. I love that call. So using him with Slovis would be wise um drake london is another guy that that we're pretty high on at at rotowire just like i think he plays basketball for them too or at least had a basketball scholarship from usc on top of uh, the football one was really impressive last year as a freshman kind of has like marcus colston vibes to to his game a little bit just like an oversized jumbo receiver um, who can dominate in the air so i really like him um one other guy great name Uh, You probably remember him from, like, last year, just, like, talking about crazy recruiting names. But, like, Brew McCoy uh, started out at USC, goes to Texas. Now he's back at USC. He is very interesting. I don't really know the exact role that he'll be playing. But he's someone to keep in mind. Like if you need a, a near min-priced dart to throw, I think that USC is going to be putting up enough points and and, and everything like that to where McCoy might work his way into it. And I think he, he's the type of dude that like only needs like one or two touches to to really like hit value. He looks like he's, he's looked like a man since he was like a sophomore in high school.
1: I feel like he should go by Bruh. Just one man's opinion.
2: Bruh's tight though. I mean, it is.
1: I mean, it's a win-win, but. You know, I feel like Rue was probably cooler throughout his life, and then the last couple of years with Bruh taking off, you know, maybe maybe you think about a conversion. Um, thoughts on Kyle Pitts this week, who has been by far the most, you know, dependable tight end uh, in the country. You know, essentially functions as a receiver for them. Um, and it, it's crazy, like the volume for him hasn't even been all that high. I mean, he had he had that huge game uh, against Ole Miss to, to begin the year with four touchdowns, like 52 DraftKings points, I think it was that game. Um, but the last, the last three games, he's only had 14 total catches uh, against Missouri, a and and South Carolina. He, he's still been you know, extremely efficient with those catches. The yardage totals haven't been insane, but you know, he does have three touchdowns over those games. I think what's encouraging, though, is that the targets have been there. Um, you know, his, his conversion rate on those targets isn't great, but he's being targeted you know, a, a little over, I think, what, eight times per game in that span.
2: That's right. So, yeah, I I like the Pitts call. Um, You know, like I was talking about earlier with Richard LeCount being out, I think that's a huge, huge advantage for Florida up the seams. Kyle Pitts gave this defense a lot of trouble last year. I think that like if they kept going to him as opposed to like Van Jefferson or, or, or Grimes or someone like that, I think that, you know, maybe that game goes differently bottom line, uh, than, than it did. So I like Pitts a lot. And I think that the fact that like the, the buzz is off a little bit because there are, you know, so many other, um, big name, uh, receivers in this slate. And I I think that we, you know, we don't have Kyle Pitts coming off of that nuclear four touchdown, 170 yard game. So he's down at 6,200. He's going to see eight targets against a defense that, that, you know, doesn't, or a safety tandem that, you know, is is less than uh, full strength, I like Pitts a lot at 6,200, yeah.
1: Give me your favorite bets of the week, if you don't mind, to finish this out.
2: Yes, um, I like Arkansas, plus one and a half at home, the home hogs going up against Mm -hmm. Tennessee. Um, I think that they, uh, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee, they have a quarterback problem, and until they get their quarterback problem figured out, they're going to be liable to lose to teams that aren't as good as them. And I, I think that Arkansas fits that mold. I think uh, Sam Pittman hired both of the, or crushed both of his hires with, with Bryles and with Barry Odom on the defensive side. Um, they just are, are well-coached team. I mean that, you know, that Georgia struggle against them in the first half doesn't feel nearly as embarrassing as it did um, back in September. So like, mm-hmm. I like Arkansas as you know, the home home underdogs to, to win that one outright, um if you if you're listening to this on Thursday I like Wyoming -3 uh, against Colorado State. Wyoming very good even though they lost their starting quarterback very early on in the season. I think Levi Williams can make it happen. So Zavian Va- Valade really impressive running back. They're just going to play bully ball against Colorado State and I don't think Colorado State can do anything about it. And I also like UNC -10.5 against Duke. I know that UNC coming off the loss against Virginia but Man, like I mean that's a good team still It's still Sam Howell, and this is a I don't think a very good Duke team. I mean Duke like took it to Syracuse once, but i'll i'll take I'll take the the u n c discount this week. I think that this game normally would be more like a thirteen and a half, so ten and a half is totally fine.
1: UNC's had some weird games Uh, and Virginia obviously being one of them more so on the defensive end Florida State the offense struggled a little bit but I mean three of their last four games you got totals of 41 48 56 so the offense is explosive and you got a high total in this game as well if the defense can just give you like a C plus game I I like where your head's at with that one
2: yeah exactly that's all you need um, and Duke should be able to help that in its own right i don't think duke basically just has tempo on its side they, they can run a ton of plays they did it against syracuse but if they, if they get knocked off of that which i think unc will be able to they don't they don't really have a ton of talent so I, I think that unc outmatches them pretty significantly there and if this turns into a you know a track meet i don't think duke has the horses to keep up whereas unc like you said the offense has been clicking in recent weeks so i like it a lot there all right, man. Well, Wisconsin,
1: notwithstanding, this should be another fun week. I'll be praying for you uh, these you, next few you. nights uh, in advance of, uh, I, I guess, not really the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. but I would hope uh,
2: not, at least for this year. That would be
1: that would be something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, don't shock me either. <laughs> no, at the same time, like, maybe not the world's largest, but a large one nonetheless.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you and I both have, have had our, our experiences at that at that stadium. You being a Jags have. fan and, and me going down for that game a few times. Uh, yeah, Always a good time.
1: Yeah, Jags up. Uh, tough, tough, tough week ahead for the Jags coming off the bye without Gardner Minshew.
2: Devastating. Right, right when that uh, Van Gogh video comes out and then know. can't. You know, he's hurt. I know. Tough the worst stuff. thing
1: that happened. The worst thing that could have happened was them beating the Colts week one. The amount of hope that I had after that game. I mean, it went sharply. <laughs> the graph uh, sharply. I thought you were crazy. justified in it too. Yeah. I, everybody did I know and the Colts look great now the Jags look terrible they might finish one in 15 I don't know I mean the Texans are one in six as well and I they feel like they have a zero percent chance of winning that game
2: yeah yeah it's it's rough right now but the Jake Luton experience yeah well you're,
1: you're going through it too with the Ravens I mean I I empathize yeah
2: they they're just uh, last year was their chance that mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that's how,
1: that's how I feel about three years ago with the Jags
2: never yeah, I don't want to have an existential crisis at the end of this video podcast, but, I mean, if this goes I, I on any further, the it'll happen.
3: The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare.